G'day there, stoked that you're listening to the Bay Vineyard Podcast. This week the audio is slightly different because we couldn't record on our normal uh, sound desk and so the audio that you're hearing is coming from uh, our camera. But that uh, leads me to remind you that if you want to not just listen to the podcast but watch the podcast as well, you can do that by going to our YouTube channel or to Facebook, our Facebook page. I'll link both of those things in the description. And uh, so apologies that the audio is a bit different this week. We'll be back to normal transmission next week. But uh, yeah, it's a good opportunity to uh, let you know that if you want to watch the podcast, you can do that as well. God bless. We are in week two of Vision Series. Uh, our first time that we've done this is going to be a yearly event now for a while, and um, we are wanting to just be obedient to the to what we sense the Lord is calling us to as we move forward as a church. So last week uh, we looked at uh, renewal, and so we want to partner with God to see His presence flood the bay. Yeah. We just want to be those sort of people, and uh, I know that that may seem like a pipe dream, but it's not a pipe dream, and the reason. I believe that it's because if we approach this in two ways, firstly by uh, allowing God to renew us, then there's a high chance gonna, God's going to see that go viral, which is what we want. And so I'm going to talk a, a lot more about that today. But secondly, uh, we're going to pray. We're just going to knock on the door of heaven and say, Lord, this isn't something that we can do on our own. By your spirit, Lord, would you just pour out, uh, do, do a new work in our midst. We're here to make all things new. And so we just want to uh, partner with him in that. And so today we're going to talk about discipleship, and then next week we're going to talk about wholeness. We want to see people who are deeply broken come back to life. And we want to help them. We're going to give them practical, we're setting up all sorts of things that we'll talk about next week. Mike, would you mind just closing those doors there, just so that um, the, the noise doesn't spill in? Oh, it's too hot. Oh, um, okay. I can shut the door. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> oh, got, I've, got, I've got windows to the outside world. I have a heart. It is hot. I need a silk hanky. I was sweating last week, big time, and I thought, oh man, I want to be one of those pricks with a silk hanky one day. John Lennon composed uh, this, um, a song, Imagine, one morning, uh, 1971. Everyone will know that song on the Steinway piano in the uh, bedroom of his house. And the song itself came together real quick. Uh, it was one of those kind of drop from heaven sort of songs. And, uh, and he painted this picture in the song, Imagine, as you'll be aware, of what he thought would be just a perfect world. Uh, a world without divisions, a world without greed, a world without... Um, you know, in so many ways, a beautiful picture of what the Bible speaks about when it comes to this is the way the world is meant to be. Sadly, however, in the experience uh, of, of religion that he'd had, um, his, his dream included the abolition of religion and no heaven and hell and, um, and all those sorts of things because they can't work towards that dream. And so uh, there's some statements in that song that would make the average Christian probably a bit uncomfortable. But, uh, but it captured the world's imagination. Because at that particular time, now I wasn't born uh, when this song got written in 1971. It was 10 years before I, um, I came to this planet. But um, I was a twinkle in my dad's eye, who was a, who was a hippie. Uh, and my mum, uh, who obviously they hadn't met yet, but she was very much a hippie. Uh, and so the hippie dream was like, man, imagine if this is the way the world was. Peace, man. Like, it would be so sweet if the world was like this. And, uh, and it became uh, this, you know, the most well-known song from a solo career after the Beatles had split up. The song, imagine if the world was like like this. 
And uh, it's a powerful song because it tapped into something, but also there's, like our imagination is super powerful. Uh, and I talked about this as we finished uh, the end of last year, but I'll just repeat the statement around hope. How we imagine the future shapes how we live in the present. Let me say that one more time. How we imagine the future shapes how we live in the present. And so uh, anxiety is anticipated terror. I'm, 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 you know, I'm anxious because I think something's going to happen bad. And so even though that hasn't happened, I feel it right now, right? Yeah, can feel it. Hope uh, is anticipated joy. Like, man, I reckon life's going to be good as I move forward. And so because I have that hope, I feel good right now. I'm excited about my future and where I'm going to go. And my point at the end of last year is that the Christian is one who's filled with hope. Because even if the worst happens, you're with the Lord. Hallelujah. You just can't lose. So we're filled with hope. And even in the midst of our suffering, we're filled with hope because of what he's doing and shaping in us. And this is why theology is super important and how we read the Bible is super important. Listen, if we have in our mind that the whole point of Christianity is that Jesus came to get us to heaven, then our current practice is we want to see people get converted. And in the Western church, there's been the predominant message. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't freak out. Everyone's like, oh, no, here we go. Here, I see you. I don't disagree with that at all. But that's just one smidgen of why Jesus came. It's one small part. If we see Jesus coming as the great climax of the whole narrative of Scripture that starts in creation, that sees God pursuing his people to redeem and restore all things, if we Jesus see Jesus teaching as the great fulfillment of the Old Testament story, and if we see his death and resurrection as not just saving us, but the beginning of the restoration of all of creation, uh, that, that if we believe that one day the whole earth will be renewed and put back together, and the calling of the church is to partner with God in the renewal of all things, then how we live and outwork that calling as a church will be quite different from a narrow view of conversion and heaven when we die. Does that make sense? Our theological framework is super, super important. No one says it better than N.T. Wright. Uh, N.T. Wright in a recent lecture said this, the gospel is not here's how you go to heaven when you die, as the Western church is often presented. The gospel in its New Testament world is that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And that through Jesus, God's kingdom has come here to earth to start a redeeming project to make all things new again, putting everything in creation to rights. Like that is a great summary of the gospel as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah. Like he is making all things new and he's begun with me. Hallelujah. And so I, that's why like, if you're passionate about the care of creation, I'm like, hello, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Uh, I was listening to a, sorry, I am. <laughs> Hold it, Harvey. Uh, there's so many Rabbit Warren sermons that I'm not at least I stay here. I was listening to an amazing podcast by Peter Scazzaro and John Mark Comer, and they're chatting in this podcast along the lines of this, and they're saying about so important what you think salvation is. Really important. And then John Mark Comer said that if you think salvation is primarily a legal guilt-innocence kind of framework and going to heaven when you die thing, then your emphasis, of course, will be just on conversion, which is what I just said. And discipleship will be centered around winning souls. Uh, so that's created a world, he says, that's not focused, a world in the church, that's not focused on how do I become like Christ, much less how do I become a loving person. See how it's very important that we have some of this stuff. So this is, this is a, a huge question. 
How do I become a loving person? Like I want to see the Bay One for Jesus. I want to see people converted. Do not get me wrong. I'm desperate for it. We're going to be praying and fasting. I have committed personally to go up a huge number of gears from anything I've done historically to pray for the Bay that people would come to faith. I desperately want it. But why? Because I've tasted and seen not just once, but every week that He's good. And He's bringing me to life. And He's, he's making all things new, including me. And we talked about that last week. And so the, the key thing is, like, how do you define discipleship? It's been a big word, big word in the church. We want to disciple people. And this is our definition, which we've stolen, of course, because I'm not that clever, uh, but I'm good at stealing. Uh, and so be with Jesus. So this is our definition of a, of a disciple, someone growing, learning, deepening. You never graduate. You just go deeper and, and turns into learning to be with Jesus. So a disciple is someone that's increasingly with him. As every year goes past, there's this deeper sense of I am learning to be with him, to sit with him, to become like Jesus. Uh, some of us have got a long way to go there. Uh, but to become in our character and our behaviour and all the rest of it, and I'll unpack that in a second, and to, and to increasingly do what Jesus did. Or to sharpen that up a little bit, to do what Jesus did if he was you. Because he hasn't given you the whole ministry of Jesus to do. He's asked you to be part of a body which does the whole ministry of Jesus, but you're like a little pinky toe. You've got to do your bit. In your case, you're a big fat mouth and you need to be quiet every now and then because, you know, but you might, that's pretty, you know, got a very strong tongue in this whole body thing going on. But hands and feet, we want to be his body. And so he's given you gifts. So what does it look like for you to, as every year goes past, to increasingly do what Jesus would do if he was you in your environment, with your history, with the people around you? Amen? So, I want to, this morning, um, give you my John Lennon Imagine song. This is Sam Harvey's Imagine song about imagine a, a, a disciple like this. Imagine a, I'm not going to say. Imagine a disciple like this. I want to activate your imagination about what a disciple looks like because if that's clear, it's going to impact how we live in the present. Does that make sense? About what we're trying to shoot for here. Now, as I, as I, <laughs> I wrote this, and it was nothing but conviction every single sentence for me personally. So I am not up here like looking down on the peasants going, I hope one day you can be like me up here or high and mighty on us so much like Jesus, one day you'll be like me. I, this is not me. I, I read it to my wife. She said, this is not me. I agreed. Uh, no, she's a lot more like Jesus than I am. Uh, and so, but because I'm nervous as I read this that it's going to feel stink. Like people are going to be like, oh man, I'm Brad, so I'm just going to give up. Like we don't give up. He's promised he's going to transform us from glory to glory. So, but first I want to paint a vision about who you could be. And you'll, there'll be parts of you where you're like, oh, I think I'm a little bit there, maybe 3%. And then there'll be a whole lot, mostly for most of us, like a long way to go. And I want to finish the talk with how we can work with God to become transformed from glory to glory, to become more like Jesus. And if you're more like Jesus, life is the most beautiful life you can ever live. Like every time you become a little bit more like Jesus, you stop rubbing against the grain of life and you start to live the way that you are hardwired to live. And even though it doesn't come naturally because we've been conditioned by a culture and a secular worldview and media, and, and, and yes, we're born a bit broken, 
There is a God who's for us, who wants to fill us with the Spirit to lead us into life. Is that good? Is that okay? So there's like, we're hypocrites in transition. It's the unofficial logo of this, it's tagline of this church. We're hypocrites in transition. But here's who we long to be. Here's who we long to be. Imagine. Imagine a person who loves Jesus so much, their hearts burn. Imagine joyous tears that linger underneath the surface. And they're not content just to go through the motions of Christianity, but they want everything that Jesus has got for them. And they're committed to learning to live like Jesus and to be close to him, to become like him and to be used by him every day of their lives. And in that burning love, every day there are these moments of divine beauty as they sit with God and they rest in his love and they allow God to love them. And this place is their refuge. And it's this deep well from which they draw life. And this is a place that is so beautiful that it's not just some spiritual discipline that has to be done. It's a place of desire and a place of delight because of the peace and love that are in that place. It's a place of both the power of the Holy Spirit and silence and contemplation. And these people, they love moments of silence and stillness. These people are learning just to be still before the Lord in an overworked, rushed, crisis-centered culture. And in silence and stillness, they're just receiving his love. And in silence and stillness, they're surrendering his will to his will. And they're just learning to let go. And every day, there's these moments of just sitting there and letting God love them. And they love him back most of the time without words. Because there are no words. Imagine a people who keep coming back to the cross who keep on their knees as they give their sin to God. And they're not hiding their addictions or their dysfunction before God, but gladly they receive His grace and mercy. And they rejoice in His love despite their flaws. And these people are getting healed of their pain. And they're turning away from their old ways. And they're becoming a new creation that God longed for them to be. These people love the Scriptures because they encounter God in that place. The stories of Scripture are so familiar to them. It's like they're toot on the YY. It's their home, it's their people, it's their stories, and they love the Word of God. They're not afraid of the questions that arise or the doubts that arise, for they trust in the author. And I imagine a person who, out of that deep private world with God, therefore come out of that place and are deeply engaged in the world around them in real community. These people are in a community where they're truly known. Their weaknesses and vulnerabilities are known. And they know those in their community, they're faithful to this community, even when it's tough and there's pain. And they love the people that they're surrounded with. They're not isolated or disconnected, but they are a people committed to being with others. As these people know that it's impossible to truly learn how to love without the reality of community. They're not, want, they're not waiting for others to give them this community, but they initiate relationships and commit to groups that will enable this life and love to emerge. These people don't feel guilty about resting. <laughs> In fact, they are people who know that to truly love others, to have capacity to love others, it comes from resting well. There's margin and there are nights free and the average week brings life and has a lovely rhythm of engaging and withdrawing, of people in noise and silence and solitude. These people delight in Sabbath rest. 
They have a holy 24 hours every week of contemplation and delight and the beauty of God. On this day, they hand over control to God with everything in their life. They let God be God and they enjoy a glass of wine and the natural beauty of the bay and they paint and they laugh and they go to the park with the kids and, and, and enjoy the fruit of their labour. And the grace of God they see revealed in every flower and every tree as they look in the water. They see the beauty of God revealed through creation. These people are taking the teachings of Jesus seriously and doing their very best to live them. And the big areas that Jesus talks about, like sexuality or the use of finance, they are, they are yielding themselves to Jesus and they are becoming beautifully generous people with their money and very stingy people with their bodies. They discover that as they do this, it's like joy, it's not restrictive, it's freeing. They're doing their best to bless enemies and love the broken and to get along the outcasts in their workplace. They're subversive in their views on politics, wanting to live out the radical calling of Jesus in community rather than expect the empire to come in with, into alignment with the heart of God. These people are, are people who seek justice. These are, these are people who know the story of our nation and are deeply grateful for the treaty and seek to give dignity and honour to the tangata whenua. They love mercy. And they have a deep humility in their countenance. No task is beneath them. No person is beneath them. No role is beneath them. They love the world that God has created and take seriously the task of caring for and stewarding this creation. They are so in love with Jesus, they can't help but tell the world. They want everyone to meet this Jesus because of how wonderful he is and their experience of his great love. In the midst of suffering and pain, there is a deep sense that they cling to Jesus through it. They lean into him. Even when it feels like God isn't even there, they continue to walk faithfully with God. And these people come out of those places with such an intimacy, the world begins to pale into the background. I imagine a person who's deeply aware of how their history has formed them, how their families have shaped them, both good and bad, and the experiences that have shaped them. They're deeply self-aware of the bruises they carry from their life experience. And because of that, there is a beautiful brokenness, but a very much a health in their emotions. They can feel and they allow those feelings to come out in a way that, that connects them to God. These people love the bride. They love his church. They're committed to seeing it flourish and count it a privilege to humbly serve it. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they love hearing the voice of God. And they love using the gifts. They speak in tongues. And they're looking for opportunities to bless people and encourage people with both their natural and their spiritual gifts. I imagine the person who has great self-control under pressure, who is gentle and who is a faithful friend, who is just an all-round good person. It's just non that kind. They're filled with peace. They're like this non-anxious presence in the midst of a very anxious world. And they carry this peace, not just when life is going well, but they have this peace because they deeply trust God. This person loves to laugh. They're constantly cracking up, super stoked about the incredible blessings all around them in their life, and there's a little bit of mischief twinkling in their eye. Supremely, this person is marked by love, not the self-centered, tolerance version of love of our society, but they are a person who is deeply sacrificial in their love for others. And they genuinely will the good of the people around them. They love God and they love the people around them. This is who I imagine when I think of a disciple. This is who I imagine when I think about disciple. This is why I'm a pastor. This is who I want us to be. And this is what I imagine when I look at my own life. My, that's who I want to be. We've got a long, long, long way to go. 
but, but how we imagine the future shapes how we live in the present. Yeah. That my imagination is just captivated with the picture of this person. And that's who I want to be. I want to live it out. I want to be a person whose life looks like Jesus' life, because what I've described, I think, is actually just Jesus. His character is on that trajectory. And guess what? I've seen these people. These people are in the room today. Maybe not in the whole picture, but man, they're surrounded by saints. They're surrounded by people who have yielded themselves year in, year out to the process of character formation in Jesus, who have indeed in some way been transformed from glory to glory, who are beginning to live up to what they've already attained in Jesus. They've come to the table so many times they know that they've been forgiven, that they are holy, they've been declared righteous, and they are living up to what they have already attained because of the cross of Christ. This is, we're surrounded by these people. I've got heroes in my life. Most of them have gone through hell and back a few times. And my grandfather was one of them. I've talked about him many times. Others, and it's just like, oh my gosh, that's who, that's, he, he was that. He wasn't that at the beginning. <laughs> but he became that as he marinated in the love of God. Do you want it? Do you want to, do you want to be that person? Every person in this room, every person watching online, can have this life. As every year passes, this can be your story more and more and more. This can be your trajectory. This can be the pathway. But listen, it happens if you yield to the process that God uses to shape your character and your life to be like Jesus. It happens if you yield. You've got to believe in Him. And by believe, I actually mean trust. That's what believe really means. And you've got to be prepared to follow Him. To live as a living sacrifice, I'm, your lead, I'm yours, Lord, lead me. And where he will lead you is into places of rich life, like I've just described. That's where he's always leading people. But he's a gentleman, God. He will never force this upon anyone, even those who profess that he is Lord of their life. He will, it's always an invitation. Come. Come follow me. Come learn from me. Come. I can almost hear the longing in his voice, because he's not going to make you. And many people walked away. But not me. Not you. Lord, we, uh, we, we want to follow you. So let me unpack how you can do this. How can you grow to be like Jesus? And there are two things, two kind of sections. The first is the section you are not in control of. One point there. And there's a whole bunch of things you are in control of in terms of how God will shape you to become like the person I just described. And the first is this, that you are not in control of suffering. God will use suffering. Now, I don't have a theology that says that God will inflict suffering on people. I don't. That is not his nature. I do not for a second believe that. However, in God's great plan and mercy and love for us, he uses suffering to accomplish something that can't happen very easily outside of that place. It's in the desert place that we're formed. Like every single person that God used mightily in the Scriptures, you'll begin to notice this as you read the Bible, walks through the desert, has desert times. Moses, Joseph, all of the prophets, Jesus himself as he begins his ministry. And how does it begin? It begins because he spent time in the wilderness and the desert place and then comes out of that place filled with the Holy Spirit. So I know it's just because of statistical realities, there's a bunch of you going through suffering right now. Two things I want to say. I'm sorry. God loves you so much in the midst of that. Don't lose sight of that. 
And it's all right to question and to rage and to throw your lollies at God and to write your psalms of lament and to get it out. He's not a God that needs you to play games with how you're feeling. Be real with Him. Pour out your heart. The thing that breaks God's heart is silence. It's when you can't even engage with Him. Pour it out. Tell Him all the horrible things. Philip Yancey makes the case that every argument for atheism can be found in the Bible. People are throwing all sorts of stuff at God. Just give it to Him. And somehow in the midst of that, you're saying, I still want to be near you. I still, even though you're driving me up, I don't understand why you, an all-powerful God, would let this happen to me. That's right. I mean, yeah. why would you? I thought you were love. I still somehow trust you, and I'm angry. And so just give it to Him. Yeah. But then the next step is another degree of yielding that says, and Lord, work through this to do something beautiful yeah. in me. Yeah. Work through this. There's so many scriptures, but listen to Paul in, uh, in Romans. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. Because why? We know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Can you see the progression there? There's something that gets shaped in you that only happens during suffering. It's like you, you don't learn to be, you know, in the fruit of the Spirit. Long suffering's in there in the old King James uh, uh, Version. Forbearance, they call it long suffering. Like, there's something about a person who's endured suffering and got to the other side where they are so different. They're so different than when they first walked in. And so can I just say, trust, in, trust God through that. And uh, I mean, I heard this, you know, like people tweet all these little things. Someone tweeted the other day, I think it was Nicky Gumbel, you know, um, when things are going well, I want to praise him. And when things are tough, I want to cling to him. And it just resonated with me. I was like, I want that to be my kind of habit. Things are going well. I just want to praise you, Lord, for just your abundant blessing and all that's happening. Things are tough. Lord, I want to be the sort of person who's not an arrogant git, who's all proud. I'm going to take control of my life back. I want to be humble. I just want to somehow cling on to you through all of that. And so suffering is going to disciple you. And so in some ways, be encouraged because many of you have gone through great suffering. Great suffering. And you're more beautiful because of it. There's something that's been broken and shaped in your character through that. So there's a lot that you can't control, and this is one of them. But there's a bunch of things that you are in control of, and so let's have a look at, uh, at that, uh, which is there's a bit more there to help you with. So uh, there's four elements I want to speak to that you have complete control over and are the principal ways that God can use you to help shape a beautiful disciple of Jesus. The first thing is teaching. Like you can, uh, I just want to encourage you to just immerse yourself in teaching. Listen to podcasts, listen, read books, do all that sort of thing, because you, you're bombed every day with another message. And so you can either believe the message of our secular society, or you can immerse yourself in teaching, in the teaching of God. That'll help reframe your worldview according to the Bible, according to the Scriptures. And so uh, this is what we do here on Sunday. There's a reason we preach all the time. Now... No, I've had to critique this. I critique everything we do in a church because I don't want to just muck around and play games and all the rest of it. So I've often critiqued, like, why do we preach every week? Because you guys don't remember anything I've ever said. Right, true? Most of us don't remember what we said. We remember what they were like. You can remember those preachers that you've been in from your previous church. So you remember what they were like. Most of us don't remember what they say. So that's pretty dis- like, d- discouraging. Because <laughs> I'm mixed bag when it comes to being nice, but I'm a pretty good teacher, you know, this is my best kind of like, so, you know, this is, oh, crikey, here we go again, you know, I've got to work on that, but, 
the I, I just immerse myself in teaching. I've just come to the point of like, it's just true. I want to just live in truth. And I just, I'm sick of living in a sewer. So I want to just have a bath all the time of the truth of God. And even if I don't remember it, it's just reframing my life around teaching. And it's, it's kind of entering my pores. It's kind of shaping who I am. So teaching uh, will help you become a beautiful disciple of Jesus. The second thing is community. By choosing community. By choosing to be with people, even if they're weird, like these guys. Even if it's like, Christian community is a bit weird. But listen, you cannot learn to love without community. It's impossible. We follow the God who is community. If you want to become more like Jesus, you choose community. And community isn't like we're waiting for all of our best friends to turn up. God puts people around you who are your community and they're never the ones you would actually pick. Why? Because he wants to shape you to become more like Jesus. So it's not just your best friend. It's a bunch of people who at times will drive up the wall, who are almost guaranteed to hurt you. And then somehow through that, there's an intimacy that starts forming. And we truly learn how to love 1 Corinthians 13 styles rather than what our world has said is love. Which is just has just an unbelievably low walk away point. Right? And so we choose so community. If you want to be, you choose the nitty gritty reality of community. The third thing is the practices of Jesus. If you want to become like Jesus, then you need to learn to live the very way that Jesus himself lived. I've banged on about this a lot, haven't I? I mean, I've just banged on about this because it's been something that's been missing in the church forever. I mean, not forever, actually. Recent history, the last 500 years, we're focused on information and ethics and we've forgotten the way of Jesus, the practices of Jesus, to learn to live like Jesus. If Jesus needed silence and solitude, then I need silence and solitude. If Jesus had Sabbath rest, then I need Sabbath rest. Anything that's, that you think you don't need of that Jesus doing just really exposes us in terms of our own pride. Which goes right back to Genesis and the Bible saying, no, we're going to eat the apple and do it our own way. Thank you very much. I'm better. I'm simply, I want to be, you know, so I do it my own way. It's like, no. We humble ourselves and follow him. And Jesus said, learn. And then the, the, love, and the message translation, the unforced rhythms of grace. Like, learn. Like, learn how to live. Follow me and, sh and, and imitate me. Like, the, the, the disciples didn't just listen to his teaching. They walked so close to him, a great blessing in the Israelite, uh, in the Jewish world was this, would, Beth, would you be covered with the dust of your rabbi? Would you be covered with the dust of your rabbi? Beth is walking so close to her rabbi as they wander around Israel and all the rest of it, she just, at the end of the day, she's covered with the dust of the rabbi. The rabbi slinked off to have a bit of a quiet time. Beth is sort of hanging out there, all right, I'm just going to spend this time in silence. This, the, the rabbis starting to rest and chill. All right, we're going to rest and chill. The, the rabbis there blessing and encouraging people, even though he's got great grief growing on because his cousin just died, but he has compassion for the crowd. Oh, and you're learning the way of Jesus as we imitate him. So we've lost sight of that vision. We think somehow we can become the person I described earlier as a great disciple without learning the practices of Jesus. I tell you, it's impossible. I tried most of my Christian life to learn more things and to not be naughty, and I just don't feel like I, I mean, it was helpful. It protected me from some pain, but it didn't lead me into life like Sabbath has led me into life, like a deep devotional life has led me into life, like dealing with the brokenness of my history and my family has led me into life and healing and to learning to, to be comfortable in my own skin with the way that God's graced me and gifted me and to use those gifts to be a blessing to others. That's, in my view, what it looks like to grow into discipleship. And so these are practices that we want to live out. And lastly, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We're going to open it. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, your life will be changed. We live in an environment. We live in an environment. And uh, most people live in a very secular environment. We want to live in the environment of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Not just on meetings, but every day. Yeah, I want to wake up and just be like, Holy Spirit, just come and fill me. Yeah. The famous sociologist Tony Campolo uh, used to say that he would wake up in the morning and he would not get out of bed until he just sensed the Holy Spirit just fill him. He would lie there, Lord, to send your Spirit and just fill me with, my, with your Holy Spirit. Every morning before I go to bed and he would just wait. And I was listening to that, I was like, great. But he doesn't have children. <laughs> They're waking him up by jumping on their nuts every morning. Do they? Yeah, you know, just go down and it's like, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit, mate. You're lucky you didn't get that, you know. And it's like, no, no, character. But my point is, whatever stage of life you're in, we've got to work out what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So our vision, when it comes to Bay Vineyard, is to partner with God to create a culture of discipleship. Like, that's the only reason I've wanted to quit as a pastor countless times. Like, honestly, I've been in ministry since 2001. I've wanted to quit many, many times. It's a tough gig in this day and age. It's really tough. But I tell you, the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is the thought that we could make disciples. That's the reason I'm here at Bay Vineyard. The toughest gig of my life today has been planting this church. It has cost me in ways you'll never know. Unbelievable. But I tell you what, I get out of bed every morning and it's like, Lord, renewal. I want to see renewal. I want to see the Spirit poured out in the bay, no matter what it costs. Even if no one prays and fasts, I'm praying and fasting that you will pour your Spirit out in the bay. I get out of bed in the morning and I'm like, I don't want my church to be the same this time in 10 years' time. I want people who have learned to be with Jesus, who have become more like Jesus and are increasingly doing what Jesus did. And I'm tired of this being a pipeline dream. We're going to put things in place that give every opportunity for the person that comes to Bay Vineyard to take that journey. Whether they do or not, it's not up to me. It's up to, to, up to you. But I don't want my side of the table with our leadership team and all the work we're doing. To, I don't want anyone to miss out on the opportunity to become like Jesus. Will everyone do take that journey? No. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. It's the hardest thing. I thought that some people won't engage with this journey because I know what they're going to miss out on. And it's just I'm like, you're missing out. And that's God's heart. It's God's heart. But we're going to go for it. And so, practically, well, this is what we're doing. We are going to, uh, we have, <laughs> that's awesome. We have uh, created, we've totally changed how we're going to do our Bay Vineyard home tune, uh, Bay Vineyard, what do we call them? Life groups or home tune, what do we call them? Yeah, but I used to call them Bay Groups. Thanks, Joe. We used to call them Bay Groups. We're now calling them Home Church because church isn't just about gathering around the stage. It's about gathering around the table. Right? So we're now going, this, like, it's as important to be in a home church as far as I'm concerned as it is to come on Sunday. I don't want to minimise Sunday in any way. This is a dynamic that happens as we gather, the tribe gathers. But Home churches is where all of this is going to be outworked. So in Home churches. We're going to learn the practices in a home church community. We're giving teaching around those practices, but they're not to get more information. They're to learn a new practice in your life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in those home churches and working in your life, uh, we can grow to become more like Jesus. This is our big plan. And so what we've done is we've built, uh, we're building, now this is where I'm doing a truckload of work at the moment, 
is we're building all these resources. So at the moment I'm filming Introduction to Home Church, which will be the first module that everyone does for one term that outlines all the principles you're going to need to really get your head around to take this journey to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did, to learn these practices. And then one, for one term, you're going to focus on one of these practices. And as a community, once we've built them all, that's going to take about a year and a bit, but once we've built them all, you can be like, oh, I think, the, I think there's a sense where we want to lean into this. We want to lean into the community and hospitality practice. And so we're going to look at that for two. The one I'm working on, uh, the first things we're going to work on is building a devotional life at Sabbath rest. Because those are, the, those are crisis issues in our church globally, not just our church, globally at the moment. So in this, we're going to take a whole term, and it's going to be in community. It's going to be like, I'm just going to give some teaching. We're going to interview different people. And it's going to be like, here's, here's how you can build a devotional life. It's not for the super Christian. Everyone can have this. We've taken this journey with a number of our guys over the last couple of years who have gone from very weak devotional practices, and that's been generous, to, uh, to very strong devotional practices. How? In community. Having the humility to be honest about where they're actually at in their devotional life. And then it's like not only are we going, hey, just go do this, we're going to give you all sorts of tools and very practical ways that you can have a rich, beautiful life with Jesus. The number one thing the enemy wants to do is stop this. Yeah. John 15. Like he wants to stop people remaining and abiding with Jesus. And the early church got this. And so things like the rule of life, which I talked about last week, and, uh, and other practices began to form so that they could be, have healthy vines, a trellis that would have a healthy vine growth. So then we've got all these other things. Learning to love is going to be things like become like Jesus. So let's work through the, the bumps and bruises from our history, the areas that have been sources of great grief for us and pain for us. And let's begin to explore how God uh, has shaped us through that. Let's talk about emotional health, not just spiritual health. How are your emotions? Can you express them well? Do you feel like you're allowed to express them? What does that look like? Uh, and then do what Jesus did. Things like uh, we want to uh, help everyone hear from God. And, and then in time, hear from God to bless others, which is actually a nice way of saying prophecy. Everyone can hear the voice of the shepherd. And so we're going to help people learn to hear the voice of God. And then we move from just living for ourselves to live a life of blessing. So how can I hear from God so that I can bless someone on a Sunday morning or in the car or when I pop into my home church? Mate, just wonder, you know, uh, you know, Matt, feel like, you know, I'm just going to sense you've got a big event coming up this week. And um, don't know if that even rings true or not. Oh, you're getting married on Thursday. Oh, that's cool, Matt and Grace. Prophetic. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I'm actually taking the wedding. But, you know, so you... Uh, so, you know, and you begin to bless and encourage people. God wants to use everyone, especially ordinary people yeah. like you, to do that sort of thing. It's amazing. And so you can learn the practices of Jesus. Oh, man, I want to keep going. Oh, Lord, help me. Um, I want to keep going because I just want to convince you this is it's worth it. I just want to convince you that it's worth it. I want to convince you that this isn't just for super Christians. You know, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross and die. Yeah. Everyone who does that will find real life. Yeah. And you know the reason that we're all wrestling in this very moment, I can feel it in the room, is because we just know that some bits of our lives have to die. Yeah. And we've kind of got used to how our life is right now. And yeah, it's a bit dysfunctional, and yeah, we know there could be, like, it could be richer, but we're kind of used to it. And I'm saying, no, let's reorientate all of our life around Jesus. Let's start with devotional lives. Let's start with Sabbath rest. Let's start with dealing with our history. And some of you guys have been Christians for a long time, and it's like, guess what? Even if those things are relatively strong, 
You can go deeper. You can go deeper. You can go deeper. And can you imagine, this is what really is getting my leg twitching to be honest. Can you imagine if a church prayed consistently, month in, month out, year in, year out, for God to pour out His Spirit on the bay, and then people began to come to faith, and the Holy Spirit began to do a new thing, and we had a culture where people could come into a place hungry to follow Jesus, and we had home church leaders saying, come around to our place, we're learning to follow Him. We're learning the practices of Jesus. And within a couple of years, those new Christians have got this deep maturity because from the start, they've got a devotional life. They've got Sabbath rest. They've dealt with their past. They've got community and they're opening up their home and hospitality. They can hear from God. And they're the smorgasbord of Jesus' activities. They're starting to work out how God has naturally and spiritually wired them so that they can be a blessing to others with evangelism or with the gift of prophecy or with the gift of faith or whatever, or a gift of administration. They're finding this kind of avenue to just use how God's given them stuff to bless others. Can you imagine what would happen? And then the wholeness thing, which we're going to talk about next week, can you imagine the very broken people are learning the budget? <laughs> Me as well, probably, to be honest. <laughs> learning the budget, you know, and, and are dealing with, with addiction issues, and we've got recovery stuff happening. You know, like, this is the dream. This is the vision that we've had. And again, this is why I get out of bed, out of bed in the morning. Yeah. You may say, I'm a dreamer. <laughs> but I'm not the only one. This sort of discipleship is happening all around the world already. A number of Christians have become dissatisfied with the thin, watered-down, weak Christianity that has been compromised by consumerism. And they are discovering something far richer and deeper. And that may cost them everything, but it's with joy we give it as we dive into the riches of Christ. You may say, I'm a dreamer. I'm not the only one. God's doing something all around the world, and I want to be part of it. So I hope one day you'll join us. I hope you'll move from a Christianity that doesn't demand your life to a Christianity that will cost you everything, but it will bring you life. To a Christianity that will cost, but you're prepared to go there. And I, I pray you'll join us in a home church community. Commit to community, to the teaching, to the practices, and that you'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit. With the sure and certain hope that one day, the world will be as one. One day the world will be as one when He returns in glory to judge the living and the dead and to bring the work of renewal that the church has continued to completion. One day He will bring that work to completion in you, in terms of your character, and in terms of what is happening in our world today. And heaven, the Bible says, returns to earth. And the glory of God covers this world, this world like the waters cover the sea. That is the hope that we have. And until that day, until that day, we partner with God because we want to see all things transform from glory to glory. And it begins with me. Let's stand together and pray.